Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Pater! Pater! Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pater, a Penn State football show. Along with former Penn State and NFL quarterback Matt McGloin, I'm Tom Hannafin. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, Funk Brewing the official craft beer partner of Pater. We're big fans of Funk Citrus IPA and Silent Disco IPA. Funk has so many great beers to choose from at their tap rooms in Emmaus, Elizabethtown, and York in Pennsylvania. You can find a variety of Funk Brewing beers at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Also, Paydirt is brought to you by our partners at Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to join and place your first bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Paydirt is presented by Ben Online, where the game starts. And we invite you to visit shop.believe.com. That's shop.believe.com and search Paydirt for our two T-shirts. Now, one has the official show logo over the heart. It's available in white, navy blue, and black. And the other is a navy blue T-shirt with the Paydirt word mark over the heart. And on the back, it has Matt McGloin's name and number circa the 2012 Penn State football team. And it's very appropriate this upcoming season. We'll be celebrating the 10-year anniversary of that team. So again, head to shop.believe.com. That's shop.believ.com and search Pater for both our t-shirts. We want to thank you for tuning in on ESPN Radio State College, as well as checking out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, which is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you think of the show at ESPN Radio 1037 at McGloin QB11 and at Tom Hannafin. In a matter of moments, I'll be joined by my co-host, Matt McGloin, for this very special episode. We've got another big-time interview. This is an exciting time for Penn State football. Camp kicked off this past Monday. Next week, with our one-year anniversary show, we are going to be talking about everything that's going on in camp for Penn State, gearing up for the 2022 season, what are the position battles, who's breaking out, and what could be some concerns potentially heading into the season, and to help kind of look look ahead at what's to come. We're joined by former Penn State defensive tackle Brandon Noble, who was a star some of the teams in the 90s for Penn State. 1994, the team was undefeated. 1996 was a magnificent year, went on to a Fiesta Bowl win, and Brandon Noble was pivotal for those teams. At the same time, Brandon Noble went on to enjoy a very nice career in the National Football League. Nowadays, he's into coaching. He's owned his own restaurants as well. He's become quite the businessman, but Every once in a while, you'll hear from Brandon Noble, and he is not shy about speaking his mind. This is a man who I believe has given us the most transparent, honest, and explosive interview we've ever had in the nearly one-year history of this show. So I am very excited about this. This is an exciting time. Penn State football is right around the corner, so let's not waste any more time. Here is former Penn State defensive tackle Brandon Noble. 
So, Brandon, you've got your hands in a lot nowadays. And for those of us uh, watching here on YouTube, you probably look very different than most people remember when you're in a Penn State (laughs) uniform or playing in the NFL, which is fantastic. But can you walk us through what you've got your hands in now? Oh, man. Yeah. So so I got out of college coaching about, I guess, eight or nine years ago. I'm, I just turned 48. So I, I got out of it when I turned 40. Um, I got tired of sleeping at the office and uh, doing that whole gig. I had three middle school kind of aged kids and uh, tried my hand at a bunch of different things. I, I went into broadcasting. Uh, I, I do some some radio work. I call NFL games on the weekends for Sports USA Media. Uh, and then right before the pandemic, I decided to buy a restaurant, which was a great idea. Um, and which is why I have all the gray hair and look like a homeless person. Um, I am also, uh, I, I couldn't completely remove myself from football. I have two sons. Uh, also have a daughter who's a great swimmer, but I don't mess with swimming. Um, and, uh, and so I do just getting across the pool. It's a buoyancy issue. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's about survival. Um, so I, I got to start. I started coaching high school football. I'm the defensive coordinator at Downingtown East. I've been there for about five years now, six years. My oldest son Connor graduated in 2019. He's a tight end fullback at Temple now. Um, I've got one more, uh, Jackson, who is going to be a junior this year. So I've, I've probably got two more years of high school coaching, um, and then I'll, I'll kind of ride off into the sunset when gra- when Jack graduates. Um, so, yeah, so I mean, like, a little bit of everything, you know, I, I am, uh, you know, we own two restaurants. I've, I've got one in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, and I've got another, which is where I am now. And I'm actually upstairs. This is not what the restaurant looks like inside. Um, and uh, and then we um, over the course of the last year, we've kind of bought Shubies, which is down in Sea Isle, uh, New Jersey, down at the beach. So that that one's very seasonal. Uh, so right now is actually kind of the busy, busy time. You know, like Tom, like we were talking about, for me, next week we have team camp. We have two days. I've got a beach restaurant rolling, and I've got the restaurant here in uh, Newtown Square. So um, I am married to a very good woman, and have she has a lot of patience. Um, but but that's kind of – that's it. That's all that I've got going on right now. That's it. That's yeah, it. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> McGloin, you vacation down at Seattle. You're going to make your way to Shuby's at some point. I'm gonna have to now. That's fantastic. I, yeah, I didn't know you you own that, so definitely. And we're down in CI a lot, so next time I'm down there, I'm gonna have oh, to yeah. stop in. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you stumble out of the OD, we usually have a uh, we have a late night window open too to to soak up the bad decisions that that you make. Uh, you know, from like ten to two in the morning. So, uh, but yeah, man, we got scrapple fries, super healthy. Um, you know, you 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 end up with a good beach body. So my, my grandfather grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey, and he was addicted to Scrapple. So oh. when at a young age I was introduced to it, it's not everybody's cup of tea for oh, those no. No, listening that are like East Coasters or, you know, North uh, Northeast people. Scrapple is uh, a delicacy, I guess you could call it. And it's a uh, I don't know. How would you describe it, Brandon? I wouldn't. I would just say, uh, <laughs> just give it a try and don't ask what's in it. That's, That's probably best. Yeah, exactly right. So um, it, it's a thrill to have you on because you were a part of so many fantastic moments for Penn State football. Um, obviously, between 1994, 1993, I guess, and 1997, um, you're part of the undefeated season in 94. You're part of the uh, 97 bowl game. What was it? The Fiesta Bowl, I believe, the victory against Texas. Like you were there for some milestone moments, but it started off very rocky for you at Penn State. Unfortunately, that was a bit of a theme for you throughout 
throughout your playing days. What was your recruitment like to Penn State and then especially that first year on campus? Well, thankfully, recruiting is nothing like it is now because I don't know if my parents would have let me play football with the way that you have to kind of do the song and dance that kids have to do right now. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. That's where I played my high school ball. Penn State kind of had a uh, – they, they, this was before Virginia Tech, before Frank Beamer kind of got things going down there. Uh, it was actually – I, I would have been what would have been in the 92 class, which is kind of the class that started Virginia Tech's run. Um, but Penn State had had they pulled two or three kids out of the tidewater every year. And, and my senior year, they came down and they were actually the first school to call me back when you couldn't call or contact someone until August of their senior year, which is bizarre to think about. Um, you know, so so going into my senior year, uh, you know, Penn State calls literally the first phone call I get is Jim Caldwell. Uh, and, and that that meant a lot to me over the course of my recruiting. Um, the fact that they were first, you know, Michigan came in, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, obviously Virginia Tech, the, the Virginia schools. Um, but for me, it was really between Penn State and Michigan. Um, and, and I think the fact that, that Penn State reached out, they were the first ones. Michigan kind of showed up halfway through my senior year, um, but it was Michigan. You know what I mean? As much as I hate them now at that point in time, like it was. Uh, it's a big you know, program. It's you Michigan, turn it down. absolutely. Um, so, so, I yeah, I. I I ended up uh, coming up there. My, my dad jokes that, you know, he had no idea what in the hell was going on. People were just kind of showing up and asking me to come play football. And uh, when the Italian guy in a black Lincoln town car pulled up in front of the house, he's like, you can't say no to that. Like you end up in a body bag in the back. Of it. So, uh, so yeah, and actually a, a great Joe story. Uh, I committed before he was coming to do the home visit, right? When he was coming to close the deal, I, I took my trip. I went to Penn State. I went to Virginia Tech first, then I went to Penn State, then I went to Michigan. And kind of at that point, I knew, like, I didn't want to go south and play football. I hate being hot. Um, look at me. I look a little bit more like a Viking than I do, you know, somebody that enjoys tropical weather. Um, and so uh, I knew I wanted to stay up north. I didn't want to go to Virginia Tech because it would have been like going to high school for me. Um, and, and so I went to Michigan, I came home and I was like, I almost committed at Michigan, true story. Like, it's a pretty amazing place. Came home, thought about it and called Jim Caldwell and said, I'd really like to talk to Jim Williams, who was the D line coach at the time. Uh, they got ACE on the phone with me. We actually, I, I feel like ACE, they might've sent him down like the next day. Um, ACE came back down, he left. I called Jim Caldwell almost immediately. I think I called my parents from a payphone in Virginia in my high school um, and said, hey, I'm going to go to Penn State. They were like, that's great. Like my parents literally stayed out of the whole thing. Never, never went on a trip with me. Uh, they talked to the coaches. Like I went to Michigan by myself, Penn State by myself, Virginia Tech by myself. Um, and uh, called Jim, said, hey, I'm going to commit. Joe was supposed to come down the next week. I was like, top coach, he doesn't need to come down. We're good. He's like, no, no, he's coming down. And so – uh, you know, it's like a Tuesday afternoon or something like that. And Coach Paterno comes down and Jim Caldwell comes down and Joe walks in, like hands me his coat, pats me on the ass, kind of sends me off to the kitchen um, and proceeds to entertain my entire neighborhood for about three hours. <laughs> like everybody showed up. And um, then as he was like, and I literally he didn't talk to me at all. Like that was it. And then just kind of shook my hand on the way out of the door, said, see you in August. And, and that was it. But spent like three hours signing autographs and taking pictures and, and hanging out with my parents and all the, and like my next door neighbors, you know, it was bizarre, but 
that was kind of my recruiting. I mean, it was, it was super low key, completely different world. Um, and in my first year at Penn state, I redshirted, which means I drank a lot of beer and didn't go to class very often. And then, uh, then the next year is when I started getting banged up a little bit going into my redshirt freshman year, broke my leg, like the first week of camp, uh, came back, didn't play any football that year at all. You know, didn't touch the field, uh, and ended up getting mono that spring, um, you know, from somehow or another, uh, you know, I don't know how you get that that disease but uh it's uh you know it, it's one of those things that a lot of college kids get i ended up withdrawing from school that that fall i mean that spring uh lost a ton of weight and then came back in that 94 year uh and and was a part of a really really cool team uh great opportunity I actually started the last four or five games that year not because i need i was that good but because we didn't have any defensive linemen left really is what it boiled down to um, and, and yeah, so, and, and then had uh, three great years there, you know, it was, it was a, it was a great, uh, a great experience for me. I, like you said, I got to be a part of a lot of really cool things up there, uh, almost won a national title and, uh, and then, and got to play a lot of good football and, and, and got my degree somehow or another. You were talking about how, you know, present day recruiting is very different. Well, even bowl game significance is very different. And like we talked about at the 1994 season, you guys uh, win the Rose Bowl against Oregon, which I always love those classic Big Ten versus Pac-12 matchups. Um, who knows if Pac-12 is even going to exist in, in a little while. And then you went on, got that Fiesta Bowl win against Texas. That was a, a fun matchup. Um, what did the bowl games mean to you then looking at what they mean now? I don't think they mean anything anymore, unfortunately, um, especially to the kids. I think that's maybe the most disappointing thing. I got like the, that was the reward. Like that to me was now again, you know, when you're going to the pinstripe bowl, no offense, the pinstripe bowl, like that's not exactly a warm and cozy kind of fun vacation in January. Um, so I get that, but like, you know, when you're going to, to, to Tempe, you know, you're going out to Scottsdale, Arizona or Los Angeles, or, you know, I played in the citrus bowl and I played in the, uh, the Outback Bowl, so you're going to Florida, but it was a reward for a great season. And and the other part of it was, it really was, you know, looking back on it and having coached college football for for eight years, uh, it's also an opportunity for the team to get better, right? It's extra practices. It, it's it's where your your young guys get to play football again for a little bit. So it means a lot to a program, um, and and it should be something that you take pride in. You know, I think that the the atmosphere of college football now has lost a little bit of that with with the, the college football playoffs, which look, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the fact that there's an opportunity to win a real national title after my 94 experience, right? Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, like I think it's diminished a little bit of what, what made college football so cool with those bowl games and being able to go to Florida and California and do, do those things as a team that was the reward for the good season. So you go nine and three, you go play in the Outback Bowl, you beat Auburn in the Outback Bowl, and that is what springboards you into what was my senior year, where we were eleven and two, beat Texas in the in the Fiesta Bowl, you know. But it was because we had got to go play in that Outback Bowl, you know. And you end the season on a good note. I mean, that that's really what it is. It, it's really so important, or it used to be so important to the program. Uh, and, and I don't know. I don't know exactly how it fits. I mean, I'm, I'm not in that business anymore. So so that it's a it's a weird place from from a fan's perspective or whatever I am now. Um, to, to watch how, how college programs handle bowl games. You know, fast forward to today and, and looking at the state of the program now, and you're a lot closer to the program than a lot of former Penn State, you know, 
student athletes are. And, and a lot of that is because of the, the Penn state, you know, podcast that, that you host. And when you look at the state of the program today, you mentioned the atmosphere in college football and, and looking at some of these programs across the country that year in and year out are battling for the college football playoff. And when it comes to the NIL and, and its development over the past year, where do you think Penn State stands in comparison to some of those top programs in America? Oh, man. Um, I got a Bob Bourbon downstairs. Let me go grab that and we'll, <laughs> we'll have that conversation. Um, yeah, you know, it's um, that's a great question, man. I, I think that, that we there was a point where I felt like we were a team that was on the cusp of being able to get tipped into the national title conversation. The last couple of years, I don't feel that way anymore. Um, I feel like we're in a spot right now where we've got to refine our identity as a program um, and who we are and who we're going to be under James Franklin, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, um, different program, different world. I get all those things. Um, but when you put the onus on making the playoffs uh, and then you win seven games for a couple of years or, or less, uh, it, it, you have to reset it. And, and, I, and I do think that, that we're in that spot right now because I think we were close. I, I do think there was a stretch there where we were close. Um, the, the problem right now is those four or five teams, I'd say there's probably six teams, right, that, that have a legit shot every year going into that, 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 that four-team four playoff. Um, and with the way recruiting goes now and the way the, the, the NIL, you brought that up, good Lord, um, I don't know that those four or six teams are going to let go of that stranglehold very easily. So, so I, I look at it as you, you kind of step back and, and go back to the, the conversation we were having about, about bowl games, right? And, and Penn State was very content with the idea. Penn State fans at one point in time were very content with being a very good football program, right? You win between nine and 10, 11 games a year go to a bowl game, have a good showing, do things right on and off the field, play hard. People will be happy, right? They will. Um, and, and, and one of the things, Matt, that like when I was getting recruited there, there was kind of this cycle of every class that came in at least got one opportunity to play for a national title, right? So when you look at that kind of, even that like right. late 60s, like kind of into the 70s, like there was always an opportunity over the course of your four or five years there to play for one, whether you wanted or not, didn't, you know, didn't know, like I said, 94, we got our shot. Somebody else got the, got the votes, right. Nebraska, very good Nebraska team. Um, and now I don't know that you can say that anymore about Penn state because of the way that the, because of the way that the system is built. But if as a coaching staff, you can build a program where every five years over that cycle, right. Every class has a shot to play in it. Um, I think I think you're going in the right direction. I felt like we were there a couple of years ago. I don't mm -hmm. feel like we're there right now. Um, you know, and and that's a challenge. Look, man, I I I would not want to be a college football coach right now at all. Yeah. And for me, like we, we, we spend so much time talking about it and reviewing it and trying to find solutions for it. And I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm taking crazy pills because I continue to go back to it's about winning. Yeah. And that's it. It's you want money, win. You want big NIL deal for your players, win sponsorships, whatever it may be, win everything you need to compete with the top you know, teams in the nation. If you want all that, you have to win football games. It's as simple as that. You want, we, 
We, we recruit top players year in and year out. We can sit here and talk about, are they developing them the right way? Which in turn would lead to wins. I mean, and you mentioned it, you know, they need to find their identity. So how do they close the gap? Because there is one, and I think there's a big one. So what should the identity be of this Penn State football program right now? I mean, I think, Matt, you and I are, are very similar in, in our personalities. And I think part of the reason that we both ended up there, right, is because it was a blue-collar, tough guy place to play football. Recruiting um, the right not, players, recruiting the right. right players, walk-on or scholarship guys, it, didn't, it, didn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, no, and, and that, that's a great point. And, and I think that, you know, just again, going back to the old, you know, back in my day, you know, Joe, Joe, they knew exactly the kind of kid to recruit to win in their system, right? And when you, when you go back and, and, you know, they knew the footprint of the kid, they knew exactly what the family should look like. They knew exactly where they were. I mean, to a T, man, we were not the most talented group of football players out there. That year in 94, we were ridiculously talented, right? 100%. I mean, like, when you look at that list of people, it was ridiculous. But they were all very similar in their backgrounds, in their family structures, in the kind of people that they were and where they were from. And I think all those things tie in, um, especially to college football, at least college football that you and I know. Um, I think now it is a little different, and and it is a challenge, right? You look at their, you know, the, the, you have to know what kind of team you are and what time team you want to be. And, and I don't know, like, I, I don't have an answer for that. One. Like I really, I don't know what they want to be. You know, I, I know what I would like them to be, um, you know, but, but I, I don't know that that's what James's personality is. You know, at the end of the day, we, we all know the, the team takes on the personality of the, of the leadership of the head coach, you know, whether that's the head coach, you know, in general, the offensive and defensive coordinators, um, the leadership on the team, right? That, that's what's going to kind of make your team who they are and what the culture is going to be. And and I don't know, right? I, I go back to player development, man. We can recruit the hell out of people, but can we make them any better when they get there? Um, and and that's a that's a huge question mark for me over the last couple of years. That 18 recruiting class, you know, was one of the best in the nation. And they had a terrible record as far as I'm concerned on the football field. Um, you know, I know Micah Parsons left early and you got the pandemic in there, but a lot of other people played football during that pandemic and won football games. So, um, so, you know, like, man, I, I don't, I don't know what the identity is. I don't, I am not a part of that program anymore in, in that capacity. Right. And uh, I hope they find it. I, I think Penn Staters in general want the team to be, tough blue collar, hard nosed kids from Pennsylvania, but that's not exactly how the world works anymore. Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestro's Classic is perfect for you. Maestro's has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels and pomades. It's one brand for every man. Visit maestrosclassic.com. That's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com and use our promo code paydirt15, paydirt15 at checkout for 15% off your order. Maestro's Classic, crafting a better you. You know, I want to change directions real quick uh, because I think this is this is an important question, and, I, and I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on it. Like, are, are you a fan of what? And again, we're talking about this NIL stuff. And to be honest with you, I can't wait until they kick off camp. You know, in the beginning of August, because yeah. you know, I'm looking I'm looking forward to the offensive breakdown, the defensive breakdowns as we prep for the season. But where it stands right now, NIL recruiting, 
you know, is, is what we have and what we have to talk about. Are, are you a fan of players leading players? Like you see the, the limitless LLC Sean Clifford has cre- created. Do you think as the season goes on, if Penn State struggles, that that's something media and people are going to look to and point to as some type of distraction. Now, we spoke with Aeneas Hawkins um, you know, on the show, and he mentioned they do have a plan in place for the fall, so Sean obviously can focus 100% on football, which he should be able to do. But are, are NIL deals and repping players something that programs should handle? Should, should players have re- representation or... or should players do it themselves? Like, like we are seeing a little bit of it now. I'm definitely going to get that (laughs) bottle of bourbon now, Matt. Um, Look, I actually don't have much left in it. So it wouldn't do me any good. Um, The uh, man, I got so many mixed feelings about the, about the whole thing. Like um, they have opened up a can of worms as far as player performance and player distraction and the way that you can go after players now um, that I don't think they're really ready for. You know what I mean? We have, we have coddled college athletes, you know, you, after being in the NFL, right. You know what it's like, yeah. right? Like that, when you're a pro, when you're paid to play the game, uh, there are no holds barred when it comes to the media. And I, and I think we have always had this, Oh, they're just kids. They're just student idea. Um, but now they're making money. They're making six figures. They're making millions of dollars. And and look, I, you know, it's really weird that you brought that up. Like, I hadn't even thought about that whole thing. Like, if you've got a guy on the team that has the ability to dish out money to other guys on the team, you know, from some sort of collective, like, how does that work? Like, that that would add, no, uh-uh. Like, that's, a, that's not a good idea for a locker room. I mean, it's really not. Um, and, and again, you know, what happens when, when things go bad and, you know, if they go bad at some point in the season, everything goes bad. Um, there's, there's no two ways about it. Yeah. I mean, look, that, those are all, we're going to just live it real time. You know, like at the end of the day, we're going to watch it all unfold um, because the NCAA did such a terrible job of, of regulating this thing. And, you know, they just like, okay, here you go. Um, mostly because they didn't want to have to deal with title nine and pay everybody. Right. So at the end of the day, they're, they, they've, they've gotten off scot-free. Uh, the players think they're making money and it's going to be better until the tax man comes calling. And then, uh, you know, I, I do think it opens up the door for, for old crusty dudes like me to be a little bit more honest about how I feel about how they play. If I know they're getting paid, um, you know, it, it, look, I, I don't think college football is in a great place right now. I don't know if you can catch that from my tone. Um, you know, I, I really don't like, I, I wouldn't want to coach it. Um, I, I have a son playing in it and I, and I've watched him at temple and what they go through. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's in a bad spot. I mean, I really think it is. Brandon, it's interesting. You talk about, you know, you're, you're very transparent at this point. You're very honest. And and we've had a lot of ex players on the show. Um, some guys are still working in the business of football. Some guys are still playing. Um, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag, but some guys want to be in the good graces of the program. You, uh, for lack of a better description, have gotten out of the matrix, it seems like, and that you, you're on your own. You made your money in the National Football League, played a long time, so you're in good shape. But do you think there's an inherent fear feels like a strong word, but, you know, a fear for post, you know, guys who graduated or moved on to the NFL to even remotely say anything critical of the existing program. Yeah. And, and I, that's a good question. And, and, and I, I was like that, you know, I, I, we're all like that a little bit when we first get out. Um, I've gotten to the point now in my life where I don't give 
and uh, to be, you know, they're, they're not paying me. They're never going to pay me. And uh, at the end of the day, like it, it, it's distance myself isn't the right way, but, but I think that there, there's enough of a separation now between what I did there and what's happening there that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable talking about it because I'm not a huge fan of, of, of how they play football up there anymore, to be completely honest with you. Um, and, and I put my time in, man. Like I smashed my face against things in that, in that stadium as well as anybody else. And, and, and I'm not, I don't, I don't enjoy watching them play. They make me angry most of the time to be completely honest with you the last couple of years. Um, and so, yeah, like I'll, I'll be critical. Like I said, they're not, they're not writing any checks for me. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what it boils down to. When guys dance around it, it means they want, they want something from the program. I don't want anything from the program anymore. I don't need anything from the program anymore. Right. I'm proud of that place. I love that place. I love the guys I played with. I love the, the tradition up there. But those are all things that Penn State has distanced themselves from over the last couple of years. You know, I think if I felt the warm and fuzzies from the school, maybe I'd give them some warm and fuzzies back. But it's been a long time since they've talked about what we did up there in any way, shape or form uh, from, from an, an athletic department um, kind of perspective or a football program perspective. Now, I do love Pat Kraft just to, to – to get a little positive here. Some so temple ties for you. Some temple ties. I know ties. Pat. Absolutely. And Pat, what do you th- I, I, yeah. think, I think Penn Staters are really going to like Pat. Um, I was really excited when they hired him. Uh, he is a ball of energy, man. He is the kind of guy that, I mean, he he will he will play the game and, and do what he has to do. But at the same time, man, like, uh, Pat's a good dude. And and, and I'm, I'm really excited for him to kind of get his hands on the program and, and the, the whole program, the athletic department, and put his stamp on it because I, I think uh, I think it'll be a nice change of pace from the last kind of you know the Sandy Barber era where everybody was terrified to talk about anything and a lot of P's and Q's had to be minded and it just it just didn't I don't know never felt like home. Brandon, uh, you know you talk about Pat Kraft and the Temple ties. Uh, if we're going down the Temple rabbit hole, Matt Rule is a name that comes up. And I've speculated on this show, especially because, you know, once Pat Kraft got hired, um, he was, I believe, the deputy athletic director associate. I forget what the title was at Temple when Matt Rule was the head coach there and having a lot of success at Temple. Um, Is that a name that you could see potentially popping up as a future head coach of Penn State football? I mean, it, it makes sense, right? I mean, it's a relationship business, you know what I mean? And, and Pat and, and Matt have a, a, a long history together. They worked well together at Temple. They have the same kind of energy. Um, and obviously, you know, Matt needs to get the ship in Carolina righted relatively quickly or, or, mm-hmm. or he'll be looking for a job. And, uh, and James has a couple more years before there's a realistic buyout number realistic I mean? is a real stretch of a word but yeah, i know what yeah, you're yeah. saying yeah <laughs> um you know so so yeah i mean look could it happen absolutely right but like um it's going to be a few years but it's de- it's definitely like i said i think the good thing is you know pat's a guy that you know I, I had an opportunity maybe a month or so ago right after he got hired i happened to be in state college i shot him a note i was like hey long shot i know you're super busy but if you got a couple minutes i'm in town would love to catch up um, we sat down for 15, 20 minutes, just said hi and caught up a little bit, but like listening to him talk and listening about his kind of excitement about being at Penn state and, and the tradition and, you know, the, 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 the breadth of the program. Right? I think that's one thing that we've lost as a football program and, and Matt 
you know, you might understand this a little bit too, especially being a Pennsylvania guy, right? Like one of the reasons I went to Penn State was the tradition. Um, and it was celebrated, right? And the whole thing, right? From from the beginning to the end. And, you know, it was about the guys that played before you, about the guys you played with now and the guys that are going to come in afterwards. And I do think there's been a disconnect in the program um, that really they haven't talked about anything that happened before James got there. And I think that's turned a lot of us off to the program. Uh, and I know in many of my group text threads, um, you know, we talk about it. Not, I mean, most of us aren't in a position to, to talk about it like this. Um, but I think Pat will will be will allow us to be proud of everything that's happened up there in State College, um, not just the last four or five, seven years, right? Like all the stuff, all the good football players, all the all the tradition out there, um, you know. And and I think he'll be okay with celebrating a little bit more than than the last administration has. Are you a fan of rivalries? Are you a fan of smack talk? Do you like to stand out from the crowd at tailgates? If so, head over to Smack Apparel and check out what their team is geared up for this football season. Their Let There Be White tee is the perfect gear for those famous whiteout games at Beaver Stadium. Or get straight to the point with the worst tee for all the Ohio State haters out there. Smack Apparel makes the gear that'll have everyone asking where you got it. They have the must-have tees for all your teams, including pro football, baseball, basketball every fan is covered head over to their website smackapparel.com and use the promo code paydirt at checkout for 10 percent off again that's smackapparel.com promo code paydirt at checkout why wear boring when you can wear smack uh, I, I agree with you in terms of uh you know that that's definitely been uh this delineation uh for penn state football unfortunately under james franklin um, I want to get into the weeds on some real specifics in that there was a quote uh, from you, I believe it was on PennLive.com during the 2021 season that um, I referenced on this show, and I thought it was some really intriguing insight into the struggles of Penn State's offensive line last season, and we'll see how they develop going into 2022. Um, could you walk us through kind of your observations of what you thought of last year's offensive line and maybe some of the flaws in recruiting that led to that? They're soft. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, w- recruiting high school football players right now is, is this weird deal, right? So I'm a high school football coach and, and I, and I see some of these kids that we're recruiting and, and I, we play against them and, and the way that they have built the offensive line, right. From a size perspective, doesn't really, um, you know, the, the football is the low man wins. Right. And, and so, you know, that was one of the, I'm short, right. I'm six foot one. I barely scratched six, two and some shoes. Um, but I always had natural leverage. And, and so I was playing against guys that were six, four, six, five, but I was able to get under them. And look, you, you need big guys up front, but, but you need tough guys up front. And I think that's what they're missing. And it's really, really hard to find a tough guy when he's, you don't know how tough he's going to be when he's 15, 16 years old and you're offering a kid because he's six foot six, 300 pounds, right? What is he when he's 18? What is he when he's 20? That's what really matters from a football perspective, from a college football perspective. And we're missing on that right now. Like we're not finding tough guys. We're finding guys that, that are big, that are, that are long, that are lean, that are not even lean. They're all, they're all big and fat. Um, But the, uh, but, but they're, they don't have any real, in their neck at the end of the day when they get up there and that that's a huge issue because that's the group that group wins that that is the most important 
position group on the field. Like, I don't care about Sean Clifford. Like, if those guys up front can't do their job, like, he's worthless. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how good your lawn boys are, right? Like, if those guys up front can't move people off the ball, then it doesn't matter. Like, none of it matters. And and I do think we're missing in that we're not recruiting those old-school tough guys um, the, the tough Pennsylvania kids, the New Jersey kids, the kids from Ohio, do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we're, we're just looking at how long their arms are and how yep. tall they are. Um, and, and, and we're not developing them either. I mean, I, I you know, I love Matt Limegrover. I, I, you know, I, I don't know enough about what he did on the field, but like, and, and the new guy's name is, is Troutline, right? Like we're yep. just, we're, we're, we're not knocking people backwards anymore. We're soft in the middle across the board. And, and that's, uh, that's super disappointing. And you're never going to take that next step to become one of those top six teams in the country until you can get guys that can move people on third and one or stop people on third and one. Um, and, and that group, to me, has been the most disappointing group for seven, eight years now. I mean, it really has. Um, the last couple of years, especially. And I think that one of the more disappointing things is coming out of the sanctions. Like that's the group that understandably gets hurt the most because you don't have the amount of scholarships. Um, but, but like they have not gotten any better or shown any signs of, 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 of developing that group in the last seven years that would make me think it's going to be any different for the next five years. You know, it really doesn't. I know they got a really good, 23 class coming in as far as O linemen are, you know, with the Birchmeyer kid and those guys. I think I played against his uncle. He's at Michigan State. Um, I think I could be wrong. Um, but uh, but I it just it's it's without those guys, we're never gonna get over the hump. Um, we can have all the skill guys we want, all the great quarterbacks we want. Um, you can have all the great edge rushers you want. Like it just doesn't matter if you don't have a great offensive line, man, like. Not going to win. Ohio State, Alabama, they got road graders up there, man. That'd be a long day to play against those cats. So I don't know. Like that, that's my long winded jump around offensive line. I I completely agree with what you're saying. And it's, and it's one of those things for me is that I'd rather have the three star kid from Allentown or Harrisburg who dreamt his whole life of going to Penn state and playing football at Penn state. And with the way things are today would have no problem sitting for a year or two and growing and developing and learning and getting stronger and then sitting, waiting, being patient, and then becoming a fantastic three-year starter at the offensive line position and truly understanding what it means to play for Penn state and not just having to be another school where if I don't like what's happened over you know, the course of my first or second year, I can just up and leave and go somewhere else and play somewhere else. But l- last question for you here, you know, we appreciate you taking the time to join us and I'll, and I'll, I'll pass it back to Tom here. We, we talked a little bit about training camp and, 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 and the season, you know, and what, the past two years have looked like, you know, obviously four and five in 2020, seven and six in 2021. When you take a quick look at the schedule, I mean, I think there's six or seven difficult games that can go either way. Would seven or eight wins for you be acceptable in 2022? Um, that, yes and no. How's that for sitting right on the fence? Okay. Um, no, no. So, so, and here, and here's here's what I'm the 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 caveat being: se- seven or eight wins, um, if they're if they're out muscled, if if teams play better than them, are physically better. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. 
is is one thing. But like if they go out and they compete and they play hard and they're in the games and it's close and the, the team looks looks like they're getting better each week. And then they finish with whatever bowl game, you know, you get to at seven or eight wins. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think I'm okay with that. I, I think if it is, you know, if it's goes either way and it's seven, eight wins and it's, you know, it's law, lo- it's bad losses, right? You know what I mean? It, it's losses to Illinois. That's unacceptable, right? You lose to Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state. Like I can live with all those things. You know, even look, I'm worried about Purdue coming out of the gate, man. Like that isn't going to be a walk in the park. Um, so, so yeah, I, I just, I think, and, and I, I going back to what you said earlier, Matt, like this is about winning. That's it. Like bottom line, at the end of the day, you go there to win football games. That's why a football program exists is to win football games, uh, and then build character and all that other stuff that comes with winning football games. Um, so, so I think it is, I'm not a guy that is believes in moral victories, but I do think at the end of the season, if they have seven or eight wins, and the team looks like it's getting tougher physically and they look like they're coming together as a group. Um, and maybe, you know, the, the, the young quarterback gets some reps there, uh, you know, and you can see some promise. I, I think that I could live with it. Um, at, but at the end of the day, if it's the other way, right, if it's, if it's blowout to Ohio state and you lose a couple ones that you should win uh, and, and the program seems to have all the excuses that they've had over the last couple of years, uh, I, I think that the, that there will be another bottle of bourbon cracked open uh, and and drunk for Penn State. That's a lot of bourbon, man. That's a lot. Of I bourbon. drink a lot of bourbon. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. It's a big part of my life. It's a good reason to go to Shuby's and Sea Isle and yes, it is. tie one yes, off. Is. So uh, <laughs> go check out Brandon Noble's restaurants. Thank you so much for everything you're uh, doing uh, right now and uh, taking the time to do this. I know you're a busy man and best of luck at Downingtown East this upcoming season. So uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show, Brandon. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Good to good to see you guys, Matt. Good to see you. Nice and clean cut. Killing cut looks good. The old man was still have a problem with the beard. That's when, when Joe Joe passed away. So true story. I'll end at this. I'll make it quick. I was playing in the NFL. Been out for five, six, seven years now. I had I had a big beard and kind of grew my hair out. And I would go back into the building, but I was terrified I was going to run into Joe. And so I would sneak around. And one day I turned around and I walked right into him, man. And there he was. He looked at me and goes, no, boy, you can't afford a razor with all that money they're paying you. <laughs> Grabbed me by the ear, walked me down to the office and yelled at me for 15 minutes. So I can do this now. So thanks for having me on, boys. I hope they win a lot of games this year. And maybe we can catch up during the season. Absolutely. We would love that. Thank you for the time, Brandon. All right, boys. Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back on ESPN State College next Thursday, again, from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you want to check out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at ESPN Radio 1037, at McGloin QB 11, and at Tom Hannafin. Hater is presented by Bet Online and by Funk Brewing. Thanks again, everyone, and join us next week for more Pater. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. 
And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.